0: So we're going to talk today about Colossians. And part of the reason you know we're in Colossians is because I've had a conversation with a number of you that about how do I walk this out? How do I walk this grace message out? Because it seems like everything that we understood as truth is upside down <laughs> compared to what we were taught. And so it doesn't feel like we have a firm foundation. And so I want to come back because part of this is, this, this is considered by most theological experts as one of Paul's most definitive treatises on how to live the Christian life. That's huge. And depending on how you read it, if you read it with an eye of legalism, you can find all the do's and don'ts in there. But if you read it from an eye of, or a heart of grace, you also find such freedom in there. And part of what I wanted to do to set this up for you today is is to let you know the, old, the 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 gospel was written in a setting in a in a community where where honor and shame were the predominant values. The eastern middle eastern mid-east societies were honor and shame based cultures. The Jewish people were honor and shame based. And what I mean by that is people people judged what was going on, not by what was good for you personally or bad for you personally, but how does your choices impact the community and your relationship to the community. And so if you try to live it from a Western mindset, which is, I'm the king, what's this do for me, you are going to lose part of the the significance of the writings of the New Testament, especially Paul's writings, because Paul is always talking about community. How do you walk out the gospel in community? It's not real blatant in terms of how he does it, but it's the underlying theme: is, am I going to be a part of the community that lifts up, or am I going people, or am I going to be part of the community that drives people down? And in our culture, we don't care how. You know, we've been raised. It doesn't matter what you think about me. I have rights. I have freedoms, and you can't interfere with them. And you know what? If your feelings are hurt because of what I do, so that's on you. Too bad, so sad, see you later. It's our culture, and it's getting worse. And that's because what happens in Colossians chapter 2 is the degeneration of community. And it's all because of putting self first. Colossians, Paul is writing this letter in part because what's going on there is people are being taught self-focus, selfishness, hedonism, pleasure, choices about themselves as opposed to what are you doing in a community setting? And so I want you to keep that in mind when we go through this and we're going to spend a few weeks on this and I've called this the grace of Christ to the Colossians. The book of Colossians, and as an introduction, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to the believers in Colossae, which is the city, mostly Gentiles. There was a Jewish population there, uh, but, but it was predominantly Gentiles, and it was written about 60 A.D. It is a place located in what's called Asia Minor. Today we call it Turkey. It's in the, it's in the country of Turkey. Most scholars say Paul never visited Colossae. And as a result, the church in Colossae is a church plant, and it was planted by name of, uh, by a man named Epiphras. And the theory is that Epiphras went to Ephesus on one of Paul's early, on his first uh, trip to, Ep- to Ephesus, spent a long time with Paul, absorbed the grace message, and went back to his home city. And there's about 100 miles difference between Colossae and Ephesus. And there's no Bible Right, In this day and age, in, in 60 A.D., we don't have a collection of, of writings called a Bible. So Epiphras is trying to lead a church based upon what Paul taught him. And how many of you know human existence often gets in the way of truth? Because we, want, we, we, we just seem inherently to want to expand on truth. Instead of taking truth and leaving it as truth, we want to add to it. And that's what was going on here. Here's Colossae, it's right here, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Tarsus, Antioch, Damascus, Jerusalem, all in this Mediterranean region, and this was a territory that about 300 years before Christ was invaded by tribes from the north and conquered, and and they were somewhat barbaric, so you can imagine some of the tendencies of the tribes and Colosse is on one of the main routes to the far east there's a there's a route that runs right through this region it comes down from Philippi crosses the crosses here at the Bering Straits and moves on through to the east and so it's a main travel route it's a main hub but it was a declining city in 60 AD because there are two a couple of other Cities not too far from there that were starting to grow, and this was becoming a declining city. It was it was a civil civilization that was on the decline. Sound familiar? Okay, keep that in mind. And it was located within the Roman Empire because about 23 BC, the king of this region decided he did not not want to fight the Romans, so he just capitulated when Rome showed up on his doorstep, and. It's what, I, it's what I've labeled, it's a cosmopolitan city. You know what I mean by that? People call Toronto a cosmopolitan city. You can find people from all over the world there. Cultures blending and mixing and, and hitting in confrontation. Any, just about any practice goes. That's the kind of place it was. It, so before the gospel was even introduced there, there were just people from all over the known world doing their own thing and causing clashes at times with, within the culture. And they had a small Jewish population of about 50,000 people. So there was a little bit of a basis of Old Covenant, but it wasn't really pre- predominant like we saw in some of the other cities that Paul journeyed to. The further the further Paul got away from Damascus, the smaller the Jewish population. But Paul's custom was, when he went to a place, was to appeal to the Jewish population first. But he didn't go here. so. You have this Jewish population who thinks they know God, they have all the answers about God, and then you have Epiphras coming in and saying, Well, let me tell you about the gospel that Paul teaches. You can just imagine what that clash alone is going to be, let alone the clash of Eastern, Far Eastern culture, you know, Buddhism, some of those other mystic religions, plus the predominant religions of idol worship in the culture. And so all of this is going on here. And these many divergent beliefs and practices lead to tensions. The gospel tends to expand the fastest in the midst of tension. Why? Because people are more receptive to truth when they're they're in tension. Okay? And Paul wrote this letter because it had become apparent about five or six years after Epiphras came back to plant the church that there were these counter-false teachers who were trying to impose strict rules about eating, drinking, and religious festivals, and who also promoted such things as worship of angels. So the ones trying to impose the rules about eating, drinking, and religious festivals, who do you think those probably were? The Jews. Those trying to do things about worship of angels could have been the Jews, could have been some of the other groups that are in there. This was a kind of a breeding ground for the Gnostics where the Gnostics believed everything was spiritual and that the body was inherently bad. So if the body is inherently bad your relationship with God has to be spiritual and so worshipping of angels who are spirit beings would not be uncommon. And these false teachers came from Jewish mysticism, they came from Gnosticism, and they came from Eastern mystery religions. All of which... <laughs> We're competing voices with the voice of the gospel of grace. Jewish mysticism today, the primary one is Kabbalah. You've heard probably heard that. Gnosticism, it's all spiritual, man. Your body's evil. And there's even a branch of Gnosticism that says your body doesn't even exist. Translate that to what religion today? Christian science. And there's there's a group of even within the Eastern mystery religions that talk about we're God. They talk about we're the be-all and end-all, and there's this cosmic nature thing called God that we're one with, but it's not the God that we know. And so these, this, these are all competing voices going on in, inside of this culture. And these false teachers were teaching things that have become collectively known as the Colossian heresy, And they include a belief system that Paul calls a hollow and deceptive philosophy in chapter 2, verse 8, which we're going to study next week. A belief system that depends on human tradition in chapter 2, verses 8 and verse 22. Elemental spiritual forces that underlie the system. Angels, principalities, those kinds of things and primarily the teaching does not depend on Christ most of these most of these teachings that we're ta- that he was looking into and was trying to correct that's a problem for Paul that where Christ is decentralized or relegated to the back burner that ought to be a problem and what you'll find is as these teachings that he's talking about in chapter 2 that's what they do they take your focus off of Jesus and they really elevate man in the midst of all of it It's about man, not about Jesus. And the minute you take your focus off of Jesus, what happens? You start to deteriorate. Don't know why, in a sense, that I can't explain it totally. But the more you don't focus on Jesus, the more it seems like life gets stressful, it gets tough. The teaching emphasized observances of food restrictions and Jewish holidays and includes the teaching of angel worship. How many of you know there isn't one angel in Scripture that ever said, worship me, except Lucifer? And what happened to him? He got, he got the left foot of God out of the heavenlies, right? So anytime someone says to you, well, let's focus and worship angels, and, that, and then you begin to understand why the church has had trouble even thinking about angels, because where's the line? Now, we know there are, there are godly angels who are ministering spirits. But the church, over the years after this teaching came out, went so far the other way to say, we aren't even, aren't even going to talk about angels because we don't want to run the risk of worshiping angels. And some of us who were four or five years ago in the same church, there was a season when the Jewish holidays became emphasized. Remember that? It never quite sat right with me. I understood that, that the, the reason to study them, but to then try to observe them. Paul says in, cha- in, in, his, in chapter 2 that we're not supposed to observe Jewish holidays. It wasn't meant for us. And so the more you're focusing on food restrictions, which is don't eat this, don't eat that, eat this, don't, you know, eat this, don't eat that, drink this, don't drink that, my gosh, turn the TV on today. Well, if you eat this, if you take this, if you don't drink this, I mean, it's nothing new under the sun, folks. Greg talk, talked about that the other day. The devil is just, he's not real original. He just keeps repeating in different packaging. And or they taught or an emphasis on what's called ascetic disciplines, severe self-discipline. You exercise your willpower, and you'll be fine. Fast for 40 days. <laughs> and it's all about being you know, hyper, hyper fit, extreme body workout, all kinds of things about a severe self-discipline, and severe meaning not bad, but, but so intense about it. You're so focused on something in terms of a self-discipline How about reading your Bible a chapter a day? Can't you pray for one hour a day? 10% tithe? So so rigid that violation of it will mean destruction to you. That's how it was taught. And the teaching touted visionary experiences. Do You know what I mean by that? Spiritual visual open vision kinds of experiences that weren't from necessarily from God The pursuit of spiritual experiences including those from God became a high priority How do I say it this way? I have to get to the courtroom of heaven to see Jesus And I'm not talking about the courtroom of heaven teaching I'm talking about I'm going to chase the visual experience of God. God wants us to have experiences with Him. But I'm so intent on seeing an angel, I'm so intent on seeing Jesus face to face, that my whole focus becomes about obtaining the experience and the high that the experience gives me, as opposed to the relationship with Jesus. Do you realize if you ha- in a relationship with Jesus, he will give you experiences when it's the right moment. We don't have to chase them. And Carol and I can tell you we walked away from conference after conference after conference wondering what was wrong with us. I don't see angels like that. There must be something wrong with me. Paul says we don't, we don't chase visionary experiences. We don't chase open visions. He says we let them happen. And it's teaching strongly encouraged rule keeping. Aha. I'll let you think about that one. I probably put my foot in my mouth enough already. So <laughs> the teaching strongly advocated circumcision. That's that Jewish influence. Rule keeping the Ten Commandments. Or the 613 Jewish laws. I'm still trying to figure out how the Pharisees thought that they were the they were okay with with 613 laws and how they could think that they were, net, that they never violated them. Must have been a real shock when Jesus was writing in the sand that one day. And from Paul's point of view, the heresy denigrated Jesus. It relegated Christ to the background if, if he recognized him at all. And here's how it plays out today. You know, Jesus was a really good man. He was a really good prophet. But he was just a man. He was just a prophet. He wasn't God. Gnostics even denied that Jesus came in the flesh. What does John tell us? In 1 John chapter 4, it says, If any spirit or any person denies that Jesus came from the flesh, it's an Antichrist spirit at work. Wow. And the heresy suggested that a fullness of spiritual experience could not be found in Christ alone. So it was Christ plus was necessary. Christ plus what? Well, there's, there are some sects of Catholicism that you have to beat yourself with a whip until you're bleeding before you can experience Jesus. Some of the mystics that are documented in the Catholic Church had supernatural experiences, but most of them tortured themselves. They deprived themselves of food. They deprived themselves of water. They walked, they, they walked on their knees up a hundred steps, until their knees were bloody. They would be praying for all hours of the day until they could hardly stand up because it was Jesus plus something they had to do to have the fullness of a Christ experience. I'm tired of that, guys. And yet you go out there in the community today and it's Jesus plus in a lot of places because they don't know. And the heresy leads to losing connection with Christ. Paul tells us in chapter 2 and verse 19 that eventually if you if you are so influenced by the heresies of the of this of this culture, you will disconnect from Jesus. Now that disconnection can be in degrees. Your heart can start wandering, and it doesn't mean you lose you lose your salvation, but it does mean your focus is off of Him. And again, as I said earlier, as you disconnect from Jesus, it just seems like we have more strife, we have more turmoil, we have more anxiety and stress and fear and I can tell you from the days where I have sort of wan- waned my interest in Jesus has waned you know because sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down then when it seems to be on the waning side I, I struggle more and, and I seem to struggle more when I'm in my own head as opposed to when I'm connected That's that's what Paul was trying to get to in this and so I lay out the heresies, and I put them in writing to you so that as you begin to read chapter two you can I want you to start seeing in our own culture examples. When when you elevate the visual experience, the uh, let me put it this way, the the pursuit of visions, what religion is based upon vision? A vision that the founder was given? Mormonism. It wasn't based upon the revelation of Jesus. It was based upon a revelation given by an angel about what to do. See how these things creep in? And it's a powerful religion today. It's all over the world. They're actively evangelizing all over the world. They seem to have a whole lot less issues like drugs. They seem to have a smaller divorce rate than the general population. But there are certain things you have to do to make it to heaven with God. And not everybody makes it. Only a select number. How do you know when that number's full? Even the Jehovah Witnesses, mm-hmm. same thing. You know, There's only a certain amount number-wise that are going to make it. Well, if it's already full, why should I bother? Because everybody before me believed they made it. Somebody's wrong somewhere. Except in grace, Jesus said, I love you all. And I make it available to you all. Do you believe? And if you do, it's done. And so I don't have to perform. But in, in Jehovah Witnesses, in Mormonism, I have to perform to move through the ranks to get to the secret societies within those particular religions to qualify. So, with that background, we're going to talk about the layout of the book. And I borrowed this from Dr. Chuck Missler. And he lays out the book. Chapter 1 is considered the doctrinal chapter where Christ's preeminence is declared. When you read Paul's writings and he's addressing issues, Paul never starts right out, I won't say never, rarely starts right out confronting he normally starts out with giving a greeting reminding people of jesus reminding them of how they found jesus in grace and then he starts correcting <laughs> okay so he's he's not trashing them out of the box the one ex- the one exception might be Begla- Beg- galatians where in chapter 1 he called them foolish who's bewitched you okay um, and so there's this doctrinal preeminence of Christ is declared. And Paul doesn't waver throughout his writings. It is Christ, Christ crucified, and him alone that reestablishes relationship with God. Anything besides Christ alone is foolishness for Paul. A waste of time, a waste of energy, and a waste of part of life. Because again, the more you go Christ plus, the more tired and worn out you're going to get. Because you're never going to know, is it enough? And in chapter 2, he declares the dangers of the wrong understanding, where Christ, he then uh, defends Christ's preeminence. He takes a look at all of the things that he lists are wrong, using the language of the people, who are teaching those things? He uses their own language to turn around against them, and he does it without. He doesn't call them foolish. He doesn't ask them who's bewitched them. The difference between Galatians and Colossians, Paul has actually actually founded the church in Galatia, and he knew most of those people personally. Colossae he hadn't been to, so he's going to be a little more gentle with them. <laughs> he could be a. Li- you can be a little more upfront with people you're in relationship with, people that you don't know personally you might treat a little bit gentler to start. And then chapters 3 and 4, he talks about our, quote, duty, What's our, and I'm not putting duty in a legalistic sense, but he's talking about living a life that is about the preeminence of Christ, letting Christ lead us through the Holy Spirit. Letting Christ teach us. Letting Christ develop our relationship. Letting Christ change our behaviors through what He's done. And so I put the word duty in quotation marks because Chuck didn't put it in quotation marks, but I did. Because it's about what kind of life are we going to live in relationship to the community? Am I going to be an encourager? Or am I going to be someone who tries to squash you? Am I going to put chains on you, or am I going to help you to freedom? Am I going to speak life to you, or am I going to curse you? And so what he's, what he's saying in chapters 3 and 4 is, how do we walk this out? How do I become one who supports the community, supports the, in our case, the church the body of Christ, but not just the body of Christ, even those out there who don't know they're part of the body of Christ. See, in mainline Christianity we you know we've been taught for, for years it's about serving the church. but Paul's really saying it's about reaching the co- entire community because when Paul looked at the community he looked at them, he looked at them as all children of God, that Jesus died for all. So when Paul's suffering in prison, and by the way, he wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. So when he's suffering, and and there's even a reference that that is construed that he probably was sick when he wrote this. And as he's living that life, as he's in prison, he's still praising God. He's thanking God. He's encouraging. So even in the midst of what we would consider adverse circumstances, he's out there encouraging So what are we doing? Are we going to be encouragers or are we going to be naysayers? And breaking the chapters back to chapter 1, breaking it down even further, Christ's preeminence is declared in the gospel message of grace. He reinforces and reiterates the message of grace in chapter 1. Jesus plus nothing. Now, this is where we're starting to move into as, as, as in our understanding. Jesus plus nothing does not mean we sit on the couch and let it all unfold. Because if I'm, if I'm called to share Christ in the community, I've got to be moving. I've got to be interacting. So Jesus plus nothing is not a license to sit back and just go, Que sera, sera. And I'm not going to sing it because Doris Day sings it better than I do. Christ's preeminence is declared in redemption. You are redeemed. You are not the same person that would have come through the line of Adam that had Christ not come that we would have been had he not come. You are different. You are a new creation. If Christ did not come, this line of Adam would have still be going and all of the sin nature would still be there But Christ has come, and therefore we are a new creation, and we are redeemed from the old, and we are put on solid ground in the new. Christ's preeminence is declared in creation. He talks about God created all things, and he sustains all things. That means us. We're created by him, and he sustains us. And in the midst of our darkest hours, can we hold on to that truth that he sustains us? Because if we can't, we are going to start looking for a new revelation. And the more we look for a new revelation, the more likely we're going to find error and incorporate error, which is then something that has to be undone. Christ's preeminence is manifested through the church. If God wanted to reach everybody individually on his own he wouldn't need the church or he wouldn't have created the church or he wouldn't have called us the church however you want to say that but there's something about corporateness called the church called the body of Christ that has a specific purpose what do you think that purpose is? to lift each other up part of it there's another function of the church Who engages the culture? We do. The church engages the culture. The church goes to people who are struggling with these these heresies and go, let me tell you a better way. Aren't you tired? Aren't you exhausted? How about talking about grace? So the church serves this this dual function of encouraging those who have had a revelation of grace, especially in their difficult moments, but also those who've never had a revelation of grace or a distorted revelation of grace or had the revelation but now live under legalism I mean that's what we're called to do we're called to engage to help lift those burdens to help lift the the blindness off of people in chapter 2 Christ's preeminence is defended so in chapter 1 he goes, Christ is preeminent. And in chapter 2 he starts picking apart the heresies. And he, and he warns, beware of empty philosophies. He warns, beware of religious legalisms. Especially if someone comes to you declaring do's and don'ts. He warns, beware of man-made disciplines. Because all of these things take energy and they suck you down a black hole. And in chapter 3 and 4, his preeminence is demonstrated in personal purity, not because we have to, but because the Holy Spirit leads us to make choices that are honorable and pure so that we don't hurt the community, including Christ in our community. You see, our, our behaviors and our attitudes change from the inside out. That's what grace tells us. The Holy Spirit brings change So we don't need these regulations about behaviors because as we love Jesus and we become more aware of Jesus, we just naturally change to where we're honoring as as opposed to shaming. Christ's preeminence demonstrated in Christian fellowship. And Christ's preeminence is demonstrated in the home, our daily work, our Christian witness, and our Christian service. Again, not because we have to, but because we can't help ourselves. The more we realize grace and understand grace, the more we, the more we understand the love of Christ for us, the more our love comes back, and we can't contain ourselves. We want to go to work and talk about Jesus. We want to go to places and and give out of give charitable service. What's usually the first relief agency on the scene besides the Red Cross when there's a disaster? Franklin, Graham. Franklin Graham's organization around the world. Samaritans. I mean, there's just, there are Christian relief organization after Christian relief organization that even go to places where the American Red Cross at times doesn't even go. Why? Because they're, their heart is for people. And if these, Christ, if these heresies are in conflict with the preeminence of Christ and what that does, then what do you think is going to happen at home if someone doesn't, agree with your understanding of grace it may develop into conflict and in our work environment is you will not share the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's offensive in terms of Christian witness it's more about how we live our life than you are going to hell if you don't turn tonight buddy you'll burn too you see there's this distortion that takes over that we, you know, there might be a right motivation about wanting to witness, but a wrong delivery. And that wrong delivery pushes people away. And Paul is saying, just live a life of Christ. In Colossians, let's, if you've got a Bible, we're going to start going through. Actually, I have the verses. We're not going to get through all of chapter 1 today. But we're going to get through a large part of it. And let me tell you, the black is is actually the language out of the NASB. The red is Terry's Amplified using the Greek. I didn't bore you with the Greek word and the Greek number. But let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will, what one wishes or is determined to be done of God. So God determined Paul's mission. God determined Paul's calling and Timothy, our brother. So, in terms of our lives, who determines our calling? God God does. And that calling may change over time. Three years ago, I was not contemplating standing up here. Because it was actually three years ago this summer that I started thinking, well, actually four years ago. I mean... That was a change. That was a shift. That was inspired by God. And so God has wishes, and, has to, and and we know from Jeremiah that he has plans and purposes for us. And Paul is saying, when you get to chapter 4, that those plans and purposes include, include engaging our culture. Verse 2, To the saints and the faithful, word faithful meaning trusting, believing, faithful, sure, So to those trusting brethren, to those believing brethren, believing in what? Jesus. In Christ, who are in Colossae, grace, favor, thanks, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, loveliness, to you, and peace, that state of security, safety, prosperity, and tranquility from God our Father. Paul's saying, I want you to be at peace. I want you to be tranquil. I want you to be safe. I want you to prosper. And so he speaks it as a blessing. Can we do that to others? Can we speak blessings? We can. Because that's what God's heart is. So Paul, again, we, you know, Greg mentioned the other day. We, you know, we're going to look at some, of, some prayers uh, from the scriptures this year. This is a prayer. It's a conversational prayer. Grace and peace to you. That's a conversational prayer between another person in terms of focused on another person but it's, at, it's, pulling, it's pulling on God's heart and saying God grant them peace grant them, grant them tr- tranquility from God our Father we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints this is why people think Paul never visited there because he's responding to what he's heard not from personal experience, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Wow, if he heard of their faith in Christ Jesus, somebody must have been carrying the message. And it's hard for us to get our minds around. I mean, if, you know, if Paul's in Rome, talking weeks for Paul for people to get a message to Paul. So they're send, if they're sending a letter, it's weeks if not months. If they're going personally, it's weeks or not months because they either have to go the long way around or they have to go by ship. And going by ship in that day and age was not easy. Paul got shipwrecked. You know, the Mediterranean Sea in that area was pretty pretty rough. Because of the hope, in the word hope, expectations of good, a joyful and confident expectation, and I'm going to put laid up for you in heaven, where the word laid, laid means reserved for one, awaiting upon. So because of the hope... Of the expectations of good, a joyful and confident expectation, laid or reserved for one awaiting him, up for you in heaven, meaning the universe and the world, of which you previously heard in the word of truth of the gospel. See, and I and I highlighted some of these because, I'm, again, I'm talking about how to look at how to live this out. We tend to think of heaven as that disconnected place that we go when we die. That's that, that dualism. But the heaven, the word Paul uses here is the universe, the world. It's the physical location where we are. So Paul's not disconnecting heaven from our reality. He's saying you're in your reality, you are in heaven now. That messes with some people in some denominations. What do you mean I'm in heaven? Paul has said it, I didn't. But see, in our English, in our English translations, we tend to Pick a word without explaining. And that's why the Amplified has been, over the years, the Amplified Bible has been so well-received is because it actually expands on some things. So I'm in heaven now. Guess what? If I'm in heaven now, we're in heaven together. Now, there's another dimension to heaven that, that our spirit passes to when our physical body wears out, but it's just another dimension. It's not the all and end all. And so, because of the hope, I have this expectation. God has given me an expectation of good. God is good, right? And he's given me an expectation to be, that can, I can be confident in him and that there's this place on heaven, which I'm in now, that was reserved for me and reserved for you. You're in it now. So we need to... Think about all the times we go in the sweet by and by. Right? This is the sweet by and by. It's a mental shift. Because if I look at it out there, I'm going to tend to want to vegetate and not take the gospel into my daily world. I'm going to to want to sit on my couch and, and wait for the rapture. Which has come to you so this Hope, this expectation, this gospel truth has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. I didn't have to define that word. I think we know what that word means. Our understanding, our experience ought to be increasing because we're in a world where it increase. Is part of the foundation. Constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you, also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. As we gain greater understanding, knowledge of God in the gospel message of grace, our experiences should expand. Our reality of life, our understanding, should expand. Sometimes, though, that means change. And we don't like change. And so there's that tension, the the sense that things should be expanding versus, I don't really want to move there, (laughs) Lord. God, I really don't want to do that. And so we have that tension that the Holy Spirit works in, bringing greater revelation of truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bond servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Again, you're seeing this dialogue between Paul and Epaphras, which is describing what's going on in Colossae. For this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled, to make full. I like this part to bring to realization that you may be brought to realization with the knowledge, the precise and correct knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom, which is broad and full intelligence. An understanding, a running together, a flowing together. God wants us to have a broad and full intelligence of His will, of Him, of the gospel of grace, and an understanding that runs together with others and with him to, expi- to allow for that increase to come forth. So that you will walk to make one's way, to progress, to regulate one's life in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge, again, the precise and correct knowledge of God. As we de- develop a greater and more correct and precise knowledge of grace and of the God of grace, again, we will engage in a lifestyle that Paul talks as worthy of the Lord. You realize if you understand that Jesus is is the God of grace and that you are part of the redemptive work because of grace, you have pleased the Lord. And even if you don't understand it, you're still pleasing to the Lord. You just haven't awakened yet. It's not about behaviors, it's about relationship. It's about connectedness. It's about unity. God, when he's talking about good works, he's really not talking about our behavioral choices. He's talking about how are we living our life in relationship to the community? Am I encouraging? Am I uplifting? Am I denigrating? Am I putting burdens on people? It's an attitude. It's about an attitude. Verse 11, Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness. Steadfastness is the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith. Did Paul, do you ever have a sense that Paul wavered from his calling when you read his works? No. I mean, he's shipwrecked. He's stoned. He's beaten. He's bitten by snakes. And he goes, I count it all joy. For the calling of Christ in upon me, Paul, I know a good psychiatrist. Would you like a reference? Right. I mean, you stand up today in some circles and go, you know what? I got beat up last week. Praise God! And they're going to go, what's the matter with you? <laughs> but Paul had that. That deliberate purpose and understanding of what God had called him to do and he was not going to waver. And he had patience because it says, attaining of all steadfast and patience, endurance, constancy, patience, joyously, with joy and gladness, giving thanks in verse 12. So Paul is going, I'm experiencing a lot of stuff. Some of it's good, some of it's not, but I'm giving thanks. That ought to be something we pay attention to when he talks about how to live out this gospel of grace, one point, give thanks. And I know sometimes that's not easy. Because when that person who who has wronged you comes to your mind, your first reaction is, now it takes a deliberate act, an intentional thought. But what have I said all, all along? This walk is an intentional walk. And I'm not going to be perfectly loving towards every person in, in my own thoughts, but I can be intentional in helping overcome those thoughts. Jesus, I don't like that thought. Show me a better way to love that person. So to give thanks, to be grateful, feel thankful to the Father who is qualified, who's made us sufficient, who's rendered us fit, To share an inheritance of the saints in in the light, which is Christ. You have been qualified. You have been made sufficient. You have been rendered and deemed fit by God. Did you have to do anything for it? No. And that's the message we can share with people. God renders you fit. Past, present, and future. You are fit. You are sufficient. You have everything you need for relationship with Jesus. As he is, so are you in this world. For he rescued, I love this, to draw to oneself, to rescue, to deliver. He drew us to himself from the domain of darkness. I mean, darkness is one of those things that have always been, all right, Lord, how do I want to define it? Well, this particular Greek word for darkness used here is the domain of ignorance respecting divine things and human duties. Ah, divine ignorance. He's rescued me from divine ignorance. I mean, we talk about darkness and we, we talk about, you know, it's dark, but it's like, put your finger on it. Paul says it's just, he's rescued us from divine ignorance, which means we're being taught truth. And who's our teacher? Holy Spirit and transferred, removed from one place to another, he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, the, king, the kingship, dominion, the rule of his beloved son. So when, when scriptures talk about nothing can separate us from the love of God, it's because we are in the kingdom where his kingship, dominion, and rule override everything else. See how some of the things that we've been talking about are starting to coalesce? Do do I believe I'm in the kingship, dominion, and rule of his son? Am I under that? If I do, then that means no weapon formed against me can prosper. Doesn't mean I can't be attacked with a lie, but no weapon formed against me can prosper. Now, am I fully aware of all of this at every level? No. Doesn't mean I'm not trying to get there in in a sense of letting God unpack it. I mean, when God brings up something that you've done in the past or seen in the past or been taught in the past, and you go, But God, that was really good. Yes, but Terry, that's not grace. But God, what do you mean I can't smash that guy in the face? Terry, that's not grace. But God, what do you mean I can't call down fire from heaven to consume them? Heard that one before in Scripture, didn't you? Terry, that's not grace. You see, going back to some of the things that when Greg was teaching about the Beatitudes, you know, all of those that standard that man could never attain in himself caused a lot of frustration, caused a lot of anger, caused a lot of, oh, am I am I in? Am I out? Am I in? Am I out? Yeah. And and never could relax. But if I know that. I have been transferred out of the ignorance respecting divine things and human duties into a kingdom where the king teaches all things. I may not have a full understanding right now, but it's okay. Because if I need to know something more for this moment, there will be a breakthrough. It may not be exactly at this moment, but there will be a breakthrough coming. Is this making any sense? right, we're just going to go a couple more verses and then we're going to stop. In whom we have redemption. So we've been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son in whom we have redemption. Liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. Wow, it didn't come out of my checkbook. (laughs) It didn't come out of my savings account. It came out of his. The forgiveness, meaning the release from bondage or imprisonment, the pardon, of the forgiveness of sins, the pardon, letting them go as if they had never been committed. Ah, that's that changing of our mind. To miss or wander, uh, forgiveness of our sins, to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor, to do or go wrong. I really like this definition from this Greek word, use of, of sins to miss or wander. This is that, that harmatia word in the Greek. To miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor to do or go wrong. You see, it's not about rules, regulations, break this one. You know, you 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 go and you have sex out of marriage, you're condemned to hell. No, that's not what it's saying. There may be a natural consequence because you might get an STD. Okay. But there's this path of uprightness and honor that God has put us on and he's showing it to us. We don't have to figure it out in our own reasoning. He's showing it to us. And that's that, ah, so okay God, all right, now I understand. I'll change my mind and follow you here because that's what you just showed me. It's not about being rigidly tight and not and being afraid to make a mistake, but it's about going forth and you know what if i make a mistake he'll tell me and i'll go on he's going to love me through it in verse 15 we'll, we'll stop here in just a minute he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created say all and who's included me In the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We're going to stop here. You have been created by him, through him, and for him. What greater sense of purpose could we have than to know that we are for him and that he's not against us, because he's for us too. So I've walked you through some things to begin to start setting you up for chapter two. We'll finish chapter one next week and then we'll, we'll fly through chapter two. but I want you to read chapter two with, with some of these things in the early part of this outline in, in mind that Paul's looking he's looking at teachings that are saying that denies Jesus. That waters down the message of grace. That's not even close. And he's calling them out. And then start looking at, in our culture today, where do those things still show up? The New Age movement is about self-actualization, right? Gnosticism is about self-actualization. Gee, it's just got a different name today. It's called New Age. Okay? So concepts don't change, just the name changes. And not to protect the innocent, but to deceive the innocent. So as God gives us revelation of truth, we can say, have you thought about this? You see where that one comes from? I mean, that's why I pointed out the Mormonism coming from a vision. If Joseph Smith would have been in tune to Paul's chapter 2 of Colossians, he would have gone, wait a minute, I need to question that because I can't base my life on a visionary experience. I have to base my life on Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's how error comes in because we lose track of Jesus Christ and him crucified and we go, oh man, that sounds really good. And we grab hold of it and we run with it and we lose Jesus in the process of running. Amen? So we'll pick up here. I hope that was encouraging.